Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Let's try that. Welcome to all of you here at Central Campus and also those of you who are joining us online and those of you who are meeting together at one of our other regional campuses in Airdrie, in Bridgeland, in South Calgary, and in Crowfoot, Northwest Calgary. We're in a series in which we are looking at what it is Christians believe, and presently we're examining what the Bible teaches about our enemy, Satan, and how we can live in victory over him. And so far we've looked at four biblical keys to living in victory that come out of Ephesians chapter 6. And I invite you to open your Bibles to that. The very first is to understand who Satan is and what his strategies are. In verse 12, the Apostle Paul writes, our struggle is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He says, we're in a spiritual battle. And it's against unseen forces of evil. The battle is real. And our enemy Satan and his kingdom of darkness is for real. And they are out to steal our joy, to kill our hope, and to destroy our very lives. The second key to living in victory is to claim our position and authority in Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 10, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Without Christ, we are helpless against Satan. But with Christ, we are more than conquerors. Amen? Amen. The third key to living in victory is putting on the full armor of God. In verse 13, Paul writes, Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. And then we come to verse 18. The fourth key to living in victory, and that is to pray. We have two offensive weapons that have been given to us by the Lord to use against the enemy. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and prayer. Both are amazingly powerful and effective. Now, when I think of prayer and the power of prayer, I'm reminded of the humorous story of a mother who was out shopping and when she received a phone call from her sitter informing her that her five-year-old had grown suddenly uh, ill and was throwing up. Well, the mother immediately uh, set out for home, but when she came to her car, uh, to her horror, she realized that she'd locked her keys uh, inside the car. She was flustered by all of this, didn't know what to do, ended up phoning home, letting the sitter know of the situation she was in and uh, that she would be late. Uh, the sitter suggested that she use a coat hanger uh, to open the car door. Well, the mother looked around, and lo and behold, there on the street was a rusted old coat hanger, and so she picked it up, but soon realized she didn't really know how to use this to get into the car, and so finally, of frustration, she just bowed her head, and she prayed, and she says, God, please, please send some help. Well, no sooner had she finished praying when one of the meanest-looking bikers you'd ever met uh, pulled up behind her, and the woman thought, Lord, this is what you send me. Thanks a lot. And uh, she was desperate. And so she approached the man and asked whether he'd be willing to 
help her unlock her car door. He grinned and said, sure. He walked over to her car and in less than a minute the car was open. She was so overjoyed, she hugged him and through her tears says, well, thank you so much, you are such a nice man. And the biker said, lady, thank you for that, but I am not a nice man. I just got out of prison a day ago for car theft. <laughs> the woman spontaneously hugged him again and cried out, oh, thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. You even sent a professional. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure if that's a true story or not, but when it comes to living in freedom and victory over the enemy, the Bible teaches that prayer really makes a difference. And so that's going to be the focus not only of this message, but of uh, the few messages um, going forward. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me, if you would, and join me in reading this final passage here in Ephesians chapter 6. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might declare it fearlessly, as I should." Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for making available to us not only uh, the truth of your word, but the power of prayer. Lord, um, teach us now um, how it is you want to involve us in your kingdom work through this means of prayer. Soften our hearts, focus our minds. Lord, give us the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Now, one of the key themes of the Bible is that at its core, Christianity is not a religion of performance. It is not a system of do's and don'ts. Rather, Christianity is all about the heart. God longs to have an intimate friendship with each of us. The second Chronicles 16 verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen a certain kind of people. Think about that. To strengthen a certain kind of people. What kind of people? To strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He is on a search. He is looking for a certain kind of heart. He is searching for a heart that is fully devoted to him, a heart that is all in, so that he can reveal himself to that individual and so that he can strengthen and empower and bless that individual. And church, I believe that the greatest litmus test, or at least one of the greatest litmus tests of where our heart is really at, is our prayer life. Because prayer is all about communicating with God. It's about hearing Him, and it's about talking to Him. 
Now, in the passage we just read together, I want you to notice how many times Paul uses the word all. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Paul implies here that prayer is so important that it can't just be a little add-on to our lives. It needs to be at the center of our lives. It isn't just a five-minute ritual we have each morning or before a meal. It's being consciously aware that God is with us at all times. Being consciously aware of that. And then interacting with Him all day long. That's fundamentally what praying in the Spirit is. It is praying in harmony with the Spirit under the control of the Holy Spirit. It is consciously seeking to hear from God through His Word primarily, but also through His whispers, and then praying what He's calling upon us, on us to pray for, or doing what He's asking us to do. Prayer isn't part of the Christian life. It fundamentally is the Christian life. Now, Paul, in essence, is warning us here that without prayer, we lose, we will lose the battle against Satan. Because prayer is the very thing that holds the armor of God together, which we talked about last time. But it also is what makes the armor effective. We simply cannot fight the spiritual battle in our own power. We need God's power at work in and through our lives. And prayer unleashes God's power for victory through Christ. In Exodus 17, we read of the time that the Amalekites invaded Israel, made war with Israel. And Moses, the scriptures tell us, went to the top of the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, Joshua used the sword against the Amalekites in the valley below. It took both to achieve the victory. Through prayer, we receive supernatural power to do the supernatural work of God. As someone said, prayer can do anything that God can do. I like that quote because it reminds us that prayer itself is not what's powerful. It is God who's powerful. However, prayer is crucial because as we're going to see in a few moments, God has chosen to use our prayers to be the means by which his power is unleashed. No matter how big the problem, no matter how daunting the task, God is more than able to accomplish his purposes and his concerns through us. And also what concerns me today. But he has ordained that we join him in making the impossible possible by praying in the Spirit at all times. Now, no true Christian would deny that prayer is important. But studies consistently show that few Christians believe that their prayer life is anywhere near where they think it should be. 
So why do so many of us struggle when it comes to prayer? Well, there are many reasons, one of which that comes to mind very quickly is that we struggle with what it means to pray, how to pray. The disciples asked Jesus, this is really the only thing they asked of him specifically in terms of training, was teach us to pray. Last night I talked to someone who came up and just said, you know, I struggle with how to pray. And so we're going to deal with that at some point. There are many reasons for why people struggle with prayer. I want to deal with two, just two this morning. One reason that people struggle with praying is that prayer is really an unnatural activity. You see, in the beginning, prayer was a natural activity. Adam and Eve, they talked to God even as they talked to each other. There was no static. There was no interference in their line of communication. They desired God. They hungered for God. They were dependent upon God. They longed to communicate with God. In the same way that we have an instinctive desire today for food or for security. But then our first parents disobeyed God and they were spiritually separated from the life of God. In other words, they died spiritually. They didn't die physically, but they did die spiritually. Their human desire for God turned into an unhealthy fear and alienation from God. Genesis 3.8 says they hid from the Lord. In verse 10, it indicates they had an unhealthy fear of, of God. In short, God-reliance turned to self-reliance. Now, the consequences of our first parents' decision has been passed on down through the generations, including our generation. We are all born spiritually separated from God with a predisposition toward self-reliance. We are alienated from God, which explains why communicating with God through prayer feels unnatural. We find it to, difficult to do. It's no longer the natural desire that it once was. It's alien to our proud human nature. There is something within us that vigorously denies our dependence or fights against our dependence on God. When tragedy strikes, I have found from experience, most people will pray. But outside of that, they resist praying because authentic prayer, by definition, acknowledges that we need God. And our proud human nature resists that. However, while praying is unnatural for the natural man, when a person sees their need of God, humbles themselves and reaches out in faith to God and asks God to invade their life and to forgive their sins and embraces Christ as their Savior and Lord, what was once unnatural in terms of prayer now becomes natural. In the sense that we are now alive in Jesus Christ and our spirit wants to be in close relationship with 
the Lord. However, even then, keeping prayer at the center of our lives is a struggle, even as Christians, because our enemy, Satan, loves to deceive us into believing that God's promises aren't true, that they won't apply to us, and that our prayers don't make any difference. On top of that, we're often distracted by the seductive counterfeit idols of our world that entice us to invest our time, most of our time, our efforts and energy seeking after these counterfeit idols. And what happens is we get so busy chasing after these lesser things, the temporary things of life, that we have little time left to cultivate our relationship with God in prayer. And then, of course, there's our flesh. There's our fallen nature that still fights resisting prayer. Because through our entire life, we have lived independently of God. And old habits die hard. And this is one of the reasons that children are so open to God. Are so open to praying to God. Because pride isn't a big issue in their life yet. They don't have a history of, you know, being totally independent, particularly independent of God. And so children are so quick to, to worship God, are so quick to pray to God. But you see, the older we get, the prouder we become, the more independent we become. And there isn't a delete, if you probably notice this, there, probably, there isn't a, a delete button or a reset button somewhere in the back, on our back, that someone can press, that basically erases all of the old habit patterns uh, that we've had before becoming a follower of Christ. And so these old habits need to be changed and addressed one step at a time. And that's going to require not only a deep conviction that prayer really matters, but it's going to require some discipline and some hard work until it becomes more a natural part of our life. But you see, when you become a Christ follower, despite the fact that you've got Satan trying to convince you that it's not going to work, and you've got the world around you trying to distract you into other things, and you've got your fallen nature inside that's fighting against it, when you become a Christian, there's one aspect of you, that part of you that's with Christ, one in Christ, that wants to grow closer to Christ, wants to have communion with him. But make no mistake, despite all those battles, it is worth it. The more you interact with God in prayer, the easier it will be to pray always and about everything, and the richer your life will become. A second reason people struggle praying is because they don't really believe that their prayers make a difference. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, Jesus is teaching on how to pray. And he basically says, don't pray long prayers to impress God or others. Aren't you encouraged to hear that? It's okay for prayers to be short. Some of you are saying, man, that means maybe I can even pray. It's okay for short prayers. Because God isn't concerned with how many words you use 
or how eloquent your prayers are or how grammatically correct your prayers are. He's interested most in the state of your heart and the sincerity of your request. See, he wants a relationship. He's really not into someone just rotely reciting rituals back at him. Now, occasionally, we will spend extended times alone with God in prayer. You know, some of us will spend 30 minutes a day, every day, alone with the Lord in prayer. Sometimes we may feel we need to spend a half a day with God in prayer. My wife and I, we, we have for years now, we've spent two, three days in a prayer retreat, and, and now that we're, all our kids are gone and everything else, we we'll spend the better part of a week kind of as a prayer retreat. And so, yeah, there will be times when you have these extended periods of prayer. However, as valuable as these times are, you know what the Lord really longs for? He longs for us to interact with Him all day long. You know, the way that you do with a friend that you're, say, that you're hiking with. If you've ever been on a hike with a friend, and you're walking along, and there'll be periods where there's just silence. And then you say a few things, and then you're quiet while your friend talks a little bit, and then you'll talk a little bit, and then there's periods of quiet again. And then there's times you stop and you say, oh, look at those mountains. Or look at that sunset. And it's just kind of that that daily interaction that God wants from us. You talk. You listen. And you're constantly aware. And this is the thing that matters so much to God. You're constantly aware that you're not alone. That He is with you. And then Jesus said this. And when you pray, do not keep babbling like pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him. Hmm. So the question that begs to be asked is, if God knows what I need or what is needed in a given situation before I even ask him, what's the purpose of praying? Why tell God what he already knows? I mean, if I tell God that a friend named Bob, you know, is having some major liver problems, for example, I mean, God isn't going to say, oh, really? I didn't know that. Thanks for filling me in. No, God is omniscient. He knows everything. Nothing escapes his attention. So why tell him? The reality is there is no information. There is no new idea that God doesn't already know. So why not just pray something like, well, Lord, you know all things and you know what's best and so I'm just going to leave with you and just kind of leave it there. Well, it's a good question. I mean, if God is sovereign, which he is, then why do we need to pray? Do our prayers really matter? Do they really change things? Well, let's look at what the Bible has to say about that. Before we do, I just want to give credit to 
Dr. B.J. Wilhite for his helpful insights on this particular subject. Now, to understand the purpose of prayer, we need to go back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. And we need to learn how God implements his will in the universe. In verse 1 of Genesis 1, we read this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the universe that God created was designed to function under a system of laws, natural laws, physical laws, and spiritual laws. For example, we're told that there are billions of systems like our own Milky Way in which, uh, and each system has its own billions of stars orbiting around the center of the universe. And every planet revolves uh, around its sun and is held in place by natural law. Our God created it all, and he himself operates within the laws that he established. He does not change the length of days, even though he could. He does not change the law of gravity, even though he could. These things are determined by law which he <coughs> instituted. Now, in Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our own image, and let them rule over all the earth. God said that man would rule over everything upon the earth. He's basically in charge um, kind of like the caretaker of the earth. And though we do not find anywhere in the Bible that man was given a free will, we believe he was given the right to choose his own destiny because of the way that God dealt with him in the scriptures. For example, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16, we read that Adam was given the right to decide whether or not he would obey God's command. He was not forced to obey or to disobey. Otherwise, he would have been an android. The choice was his, although he was clearly told what the price of disobedience would be. Now, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, their relationship with God was fractured. And this presented a problem. How could a sovereign God, in a universe governed by natural law, which God had instituted implement his will in a world now under the rule of a rebel whom he had given free will. Which brings us back to the question that I asked a few minutes ago, one that theologians have struggled with for, for, for centuries. How can God truly be sovereign and man be truly free? Now, it is my conviction that both are possible. God is sovereign, and man is free. In fact, it's for this very reason that prayer is so important. You see, even though God is sovereign, he has chosen to respect the free will of man. He's also chosen to respect the natural laws of the universe which he ordered into place. Now, prayer is that law the highest law, I might add, which justifies God intervening in a supernatural way in a system that he established and has chosen to let run out its course. Prayer makes it legal for God within the system of laws he established to do what he would not have done before we prayed. 
Now again, please hear me clearly. In all that I'm saying, I am not saying that God does not have the power to do anything that he wants to do. He simply has chosen to respect and abide by the laws that he instituted, including the highest law, which is prayer. The highest law, which supersedes all of the other laws that he put in place. Now, remember, God knows what we need before we even ask him. He's already determined what graces and what gifts he's going to give to us. But his condition is that we ask for them in prayer. And that's why Jesus said, ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For example, God has already decided that he wants to give us the gift of eternal life. But it is on the condition that we humble ourselves before him and pray, asking him to forgive us and to invade our lives. Luke chapter 11 verse 13 tells us that we will receive the Holy Spirit in fullness if we ask him. See, the prayer that aligns with his perfect will will make a difference. Let me back this up with a little more scripture. Remember when the children of Israel were slaves in Egypt? Moses approached Pharaoh and as God's representative said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Exodus 7.13 says, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. And so you see, it was not Pharaoh's will to release the people of Israel. However, it was God's will that they be released. In fact, God's will had been prophesied. It was going to happen. But it was only after the people began to pray that God set in motion what was needed to set his people free from slavery in Egypt. You might remember when God approached Moses about the mission that he was calling him to, he said, I have heard the prayers of my people. And then he challenged Moses to go and to confront Pharaoh. And he intervened supernaturally in opposition to the will of Pharaoh uh, through the various plagues. He wanted to set his people free. But it wasn't until his people prayed that he acted. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 24, God says to the nation of Israel, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. Then down in verse 36, he adds, I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. That's God's will. It's in black and white. He said, this is going to happen. And yet the very next verse in verse 37, God says this. This also, I will let the house of Israel, what? Ask me to do for them. In effect, God is saying, my will is to do these things, but not until you exercise the law of prayer 
and you ask me. So you see, even though the Bible, I'm sorry, even though God, like a loving parent, will at times give us good gifts that we haven't even asked for, at other times in order to build our faith in him, to grow us spiritually, and to involve us in his kingdom activity, he chooses to wait before he does what he wants to do, not because he's powerless, but because that is the way that he has chosen to exercise his will. The same principle is found in James chapter 4, where it says, you do not have why? Why do you not have? Because you do not ask. Now, folks, I trust that you, you're hearing the implication of all this. We must pray because God has chosen to involve us in bringing his will in heaven to earth through our prayers and also by carrying out the assignments that he gives us. That's how we enact his will here on earth, through prayer and by doing the assignments that he calls us to do. You know, sometimes we can get discouraged thinking about all the people who are in bondage to, to various addictions and things like that. We can get discouraged about the marriages and the families that are unraveling at an alarming rate. Sometimes we can feel simply overwhelmed by the violence and the hatred and the acts of terrorism that are going on in our society and around the world and we find ourselves, you know, beginning to feel like evil's winning out. And we cry out, God, where are you in all of this? And God says, I'm still here. I'm still in control. I'm still committed to my word. I still want my will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. However, if my will is to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then my people need to pray. Church, the Apostle James says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Your prayers, my prayers, make an immense difference. And to me, that is so exciting. I mean, we are not pawns on some great chessboard of life to be moved about by forces over which we have no control. No, we're involved in the king's business, folks. We play a significant role in concert with God in bringing a little bit of heaven to earth. And as I said, we do that in two ways. We do it through our prayers and we do it through uh, uh, our obedience to the assignments that he gives us. You see, we need to realize that God has chosen to do his work through people. I remind you that the devil does his work through people as well. And we see it in our culture. We see it particularly right now in the Middle East when you've got terrorist groups who are doing insane things. The devil works through people as well. But God has chosen particularly to work through his church. That's you and me. That's us. And so let me just give you an example of what that means. You know, it's at the end in Ephesians 6. Paul 
asks that the people, the church would pray that he would be bold. Because remember, he's in prison. He's chained to guards. 24 hours a day. Wow. Can you imagine being a heathen guard chained up next to the Apostle Paul? (laughs) He's just not going to put in time. You know, he's not going to talk about the weather. He's going to talk to them about Jesus. But he recognizes some of them might get ticked and beat them up. He recognizes that his wisdom and his logic isn't necessarily going to open up their minds. Mm -mm. He recognizes that he needs people praying. And so he says, would you pray for me that I'd be bold? I wouldn't be afraid of these guys. But would you also pray that God would do in the hearts of these guys that which I can't do? 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says this. The God of this age, that's referring to Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glorious Christ who is the image of God. Well, God wants to use us to change all of that. And so when we pray for our our unbelieving friends, Satan's influence over them begins to break. And they are free to begin to see the truth of the good news of Jesus. Now sometimes because of pride and a whole lot of other things, they still resist the Lord. But at least what Satan's trying to do, the blinders are taken off. And that's why the Apostle Paul says here in Ephesians 6, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Bill Hybels tells of a time he bumped into a woman during a baptism service. Everyone was overflowing with joy because of the baptisms, of course. And yet, he sees this woman and she's crying. And so he approaches her and asks her, you know, why she's crying. And after she mopped up a little bit, she said, well, my mom just got baptized. And he says, well, that's great. May I ask you what's making you cry? And she said, because I came this close to giving up on her time and time again. After 10 years of praying for that woman every day and seeing absolutely no sign of her opening up to the Lord at all, I said to myself, why am I doing this? This is a waste of time. After 19 years, I said to myself, this is dumb. And I seriously contemplated not praying for her anymore. I was this close to just striking her name out of my prayer book. But then a few months later, my mother, for the very first time, began to see things clearly. And she opened up, miraculously opened up her life to Jesus Christ. And here we are today. She's baptized. This is so wonderful. And then she looked Hybels in the eye and she said, Pastor Bill, I will never give up on prayer again. Never. 
Charles Price tells the story of a young man that he met who came to trust Jesus Christ as his Savior in the middle of a field somewhere in Ontario without ever knowing what a Christian was. But he said, I met God, and I knew it was God. A few days later, he got talking to a Christian, told him about his experience, and this Christian said, oh, there's no question in my mind, you've become a Christian. Well, he had. Jesus had revealed himself to him. He embraced him as Lord. And then he went off to Bible college and over time became a missionary to Belgium. So here he was talking to Charles. And Charles was a bit baffled at how he had come to faith in Christ without anyone ever sharing anything with him or without him knowing anything. He says, you know, was there someone that was praying for you? And the young man said, well, interesting you should ask that. And he told him the rest of the story. While he was attending Bible college, they went to a church one particular Sunday evening on behalf of the school. And as part of their presentation, he shared his testimony. And after the service, a young woman approached him and said, you know, I have a friend that I met in Bible college, and she came from a small town the same small town that you came from. Maybe you know her. And she gave him her name, and he says, why, yes, I know her. She's the sister of my best friend. And this gal said, you were her brother's best friend? And he said, yeah. She said, fascinating. One day while we were at Bible college, we were having a prayer time, and my friend asked us to pray for her brother and his wild friend. She said, were you wild back then? And he says, yeah, that probably would be me. And she opened up her Bible, you know, at the very last page where you just have a clear sheet of paper. And written on there was pray for this wild friend of so-and-so. And from such and such a town. It was just there in black and white. And he was shocked. And he said, wow. He said, that means that you must have been praying for me. And she said, I prayed for you every day. And then he noticed that next to this little prayer request in the back of her Bible, there was a date given. And he said, why did you write that date? next to this prayer request. And she said, because that month, as I was praying for this wild fellow, I sensed the Holy Spirit say that I don't need to pray for him anymore. And this young man turned to Charles and he said, that was the month that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And then he smiled and he said to Charles, let me introduce you to that girl. She's my wife now. (laughs) Prayer changes things, friends. Several months ago, I came to our concert of prayer and folks, we ought to be coming to our concert of prayers. I came to our concert of prayer and near the end of the evening, 
We open up the altar for those who wanted special prayer, which we always do. I was exhausted from a heavy week. In fact, I, I can't remember a time that I felt more exhausted. I felt like I had nothing to give. But I got up and I made myself available to, to pray for people that evening. Pastor Travis and I were approached by a grandmother asking us to pray for her grandchild. And as I began to pray for that child, God's spirit became incredibly real and present in that moment. And I sensed the spirit whisper to me in a very powerful way that I was to pray for this child's father as well. I, I, I did not know the father, didn't know anything about the father, but I was just overcome with emotion for him as I prayed for him. Because of that, I um, continued to pray for him off and on in the weeks that followed. I found out later that the father wasn't a Christ follower. And several months later, um, after one of our, uh, our services, he approached me. Uh, I knew who he was because he was carrying the child that we had prayed for. He told me that he just wanted to tell me that every time he comes to church, it's like whoever's speaking is speaking directly to him. And I assured him that that was the Lord. You know, that was not us. I prayed with him and that was about it. A few weeks ago, he approached me again after the service and I could tell I could just sense that something was different in him. He informed me that he had committed his life to Christ and was getting baptized. <laughs> Prayer changes things. About 12 years ago, about 3,500 of us, that was about the size of our church then, we put the names of people that we loved and cared about on fist-sized rocks. I'll never forget that service. It was still at our West Campus. It's a very nerve-wracking thing when 3,500 people, 3, people come into a service all with fist-sized rocks and you're preaching. <laughs> very nerve-wracking. But the purpose for those rocks was to write down the names of people that we knew and cared about and loved that were far from God and a commitment we were making to continue to pray for them that one day the blinders would be lifted they would come to see Jesus as he really is. And over the last 10 years, I have had dozens of people approach me and tell me that someone that was on their rock that they'd been praying for had come to faith in Christ. In one case, an entire family had come to faith in Christ. Friends, prayer is powerful because we serve an all-powerful God. Keep praying. Pray confidently because the prayer of a righteous person is heard by God. And we can know 
that he is at work. Whether we see it or not, he is at work. Pray consistently because prayer does change things. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want to close our time with a time of prayer. What have you heard God say to you today? What has he put on your heart to pray about? Or who has he reminded you of that you need to pray for? Some of you are sensing God calling you to himself right now. Jesus wants to be your friend. He, he wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to guide you. He wants to protect, empower, and bless you. He wants to go on an adventure of faith with you. But you'd have to admit this morning, you feel totally disconnected from him. You've been going your own way rather than his way. You don't know him. Talk to him about that now. Reach out to him. Put your faith and your trust in him right now. Ask him to forgive you, to come into your life. Others of you are thinking about a son or a daughter, a friend, a parent, a spouse, a neighbor, a fellow student, a fellow employee, someone who's far from God or someone who, quote, says he's a Christian or she's a Christian, but they're just going through the motions. And God has burdened you to pray for them. Take them to the Lord in prayer right now. Others of you may have health concerns, job loss. You're facing some other kind of hardship. Maybe it's your marriage that's unraveling or your family. Or someone that you know is going through something like this. Take it to the Lord in prayer right now. Still others of you are thinking about the thousands of Christians in various parts of our world that are facing persecution right now. At a conference that I attended recently, I was told that a Christian is dying for their faith every two minutes in our planet. Over 600,000 a year. That doesn't include the millions who have been maimed, who have been wounded, have lost their homes. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Whatever it is that God's laying on our hearts, I want us to take time now and to pray. If you're next to someone that you know and feel comfortable praying with, join together in prayer. I want to encourage many of you to make your way up here to the altar. Bring that burden, that person, that situation to the Lord right up here. Bring them up here. Let's have a season of prayer together right now. Heavenly Father, just want to thank you for inviting us to join you to bring your will on earth as it is in heaven through our prayers and through our obedience to your call. Lord, we repent of prayerlessness. We acknowledge that we have not always prevailed in prayer as we should times we've not invited you into our daily walk or just asked you to 
move through us in the lives of other people. Forgive us, Lord, for taking you for granted, for presuming on your grace. Forgive us for neglecting intimacy with you. Slow us down, Lord. Remind us often that nothing pleases you more. Nothing advances your kingdom in a greater way than when we come to you in prayer. You've heard our concerns. You've heard our intercession for for other people. We pray, Lord, that it will be a sweet-smelling aroma. And Lord, that you will move in power because we have entrusted you with these situations in prayer. We commit ourselves anew to you, old Jesus. And we pray it all in the precious name of Jesus. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.